Hello, this is Brian Draper speaking, and today I'm speaking with an old colleague of mine from the 1980s, in fact, uh, Marion Cummins. Uh, Marion uh, is a nurse, and uh, we worked together at Lipton Hospital in the mid-1980s. So, Marion, welcome, and uh, thank you very much for coming to talk with me today. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure. Um, I'd like to just start with my um, my my first experiences, I think, with um, psychiatry of old age. After my training, I finished my training in 1975, and after that time, I went to work in a nursing home around where I lived at Billabong. And I came across, there was a, 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 a nurse there, a registered nurse there, who took me under her wing. And there was a couple of patients that had been discharged from the local mental health unit. And I can't remember which one it was at the time. But, but it was the old um, psychiatric centres. And this fellow was an interesting character actually. He'd been in hospital for a very long time and now he had come to this nursing home where I was a pretty new grad um, working as a registered nurse and the registered nurse that I was working with was talking with me about this particular man's life and events, which was pretty interesting because he'd actually spent most of his life in the psychiatric centre. So he was pretty mute. He, he did not speak. He had these funny gestures and, you know, mouth movements. And, you know, but he was a character that's really endeared himself to, I guess, the staff because they realised that he had such a life that was certainly not a man, right? And I became interested in that events of that person's life and the history about his psychiatric illness. And I don't remember what his psychiatric illness was, but anyway. And he was an elderly gentleman. He was probably only mid-60s. I thought he was pretty elderly in those days when I was in my, in my early 20s. And... The next thing, and she encouraged me, in fact, to go and do my psych nursing, which I, which I did, um, at Rhymney Hospital in the 70s, mid to late 70s, late 70s, um, so that was the beginning of my career in psychiatry. I only ever worked, because I was a general trained nurse, I, I didn't work in the, um, in the other areas of the hospital which were the developmentally delayed um, where patients with DJ were. That's what they called me, I said. And I worked in, mainly in the acute wards. And so my introduction, I think I only did one rotation of probably maybe three months in the, which was called the, well, it was called the, oh, what was it called? I don't remember. But it was where all the people with dementia were, semi-dementia. So it was, I don't remember what it was called. Anyway, 
was not a very particularly nice name. I don't remember that. Psychogeriatric, was it? Uh, I guess it would have been, but I don't know that it was. That mm. was not how it was referred to by the yeah. Um Which was not a very pleasant experience. I must say that terrified me, in fact. So I went, oh, this is a bit scary because people would, when you went into the ward, I had vivid memories of when you went into the ward, people would just come to you like a, um, a herd and, and be around you, you know, um, that sort of thing. You know, so you'd have six or seven people with, you know, funny movements and funny facial expressions, etc., coming around you. So it was, I actually found that quite intense and quite... Um, not a very pleasant experience. So after that, I, um, after working at, uh, doing my training, I think that I then went, went overseas, in fact, I remember. I escorted a young woman who was 18. I escorted a young woman who was 18 who had um, intellectual disability profoundly from Stockton Hospital to Frankfurt in Germany. And went to visit family for three months. When I came back, I was house sharing with people that I'd worked with driving in, and they, she was, my friend was coming, was working at Lincoln Hospital at the time, and said, you know, why don't you come over and work over there? It's a pretty good place. So I went for a job. In fact, I went for a job in the brain injury unit because a friend of mine was the nurse manager and I had done my general training with her at Blacktown Hospital, so she was going, come over and work over here. <laughs> she knew that I had, you know, an interest in, I guess, you know, um, people that were a bit different. And um, so I fitted into the brain injury unit quite well and I very much she was an amazing teacher. Um, next door was the numerous parts um, with Sid in charge. But it was very much it was a different unit than um, when I went to work there a couple of years later. So I spent five years in the brain injury unit and when I went on maternity leave, and I learned so much that I loved the brain injury unit. It was about, it was a rehab unit. I went and did the neuro course at PA, um, and I just wanted to know more about why people behaved like this after a brain injury. We had some amazing mentors, Tony Broke. So Tony was the leader of the unit. Um, Tony, Carmel Walsh, and we had people like Robin Tate, who's the first neuropsychologist um, in Australia, I believe, and set up the neuropsychology, um, <clears throat> neuropsychology training. And Julie Lower, who was a social worker who was an amazing woman as well. Um, plus we had physios and OTs that wanted to come and work on the ward that were, I mean, we were doing things that nobody was doing in those days. Well, one, because there was no other unit, 
but two because of the of Chinese influence. So at the time, um, it, it was a very big learning um, space for me and enjoying that, you know, looking at brain behaviour and environment um, and aspects of, you know, per, you know, the interactions of staff. And I went off on maternity leave and came back. And as I came back, um, the director of nursing asked if I could go over to be the nurse manager of the psychiatry of old age, well, the neuropsychiatry court that Sid was um, the clinical leader of. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so I did go over and um, started managing that ward, and that would have been, it was after my daughter was born in 1982. Um, and we moved from, that was the time when we moved over to Ward 28B in, at Lincoln Hospital. So there was a great team of staff. The nurses that were in that ward had been there for quite some time. Um, they were innovative. So gradually, I mean, I think gradually what happened was because of, I think maybe, because of my experiences in the biometry and then coming over to this ward where, yes, there was people with psychiatric, older people with psychiatric problems like depression, some psychosis, but not, sorry, it was more about um, psychotic depression as opposed to any other psychosis. Um, but there was also, we were starting to get referrals of people that had dementia and significant behavioural problems. So in that time, trying to, so we were working on the ward environment, it had been um, renovated, as much as you know, the money allowed to be renovated. That usually meant a paint job and you know, maybe they, they ended up cutting down some doors for us and we had half doors and you know, different things like that. Um, but I think the things that really stand out for me in this period, from that period, and particularly when you came over, um, was the relationship and the interactions and the teamwork between the doctors, the nurses, the physios and OTs, because we did get physios and OTs coming into the ward at that time, even at that early time, because that's where our head was. Yeah. With, um, you know, treating this person, uh, older person that has all these other things happening. Well, you're bringing a rehab influence in, weren't Correct. you? Which is, you know, the brain injury Correct. rehab, which, yeah, which was really important. Very important. And I think that was really um, where 
that influence of um, keeping people well physically. Um, and I didn't at that time, I knew about delirium because of the brain injury stuff and post-traumatic amnesia and that delirium, which was very, was different but the same. Um, I think I knew a lot about that, but I didn't necessarily know a lot about older people. So that's, then I went off and did the, um, mind you, I learned a lot along the way <laughs> with the influences of, once again, of the doctors that we were working with. Um, we had very good teaching sessions and the staff were doing the ward rounds. There was the consultations about what do people, everybody had an input into that. And very importantly, um, everyone was treated respectfully and equal. And I think that's one of the really biggest things that um, influenced my teamwork and my ability to um, collaborate and get the staff to collaborate. Um, because it does come from the top. If the top doesn't collaborate, then the others aren't um, So I actually went off and did my gerontological nursing course at Concord, um, which was a six-month secondment. So I was seconded over it for six months. Came back, and I think that's when I came back. Um, One of the other critical things, I believe, is that at that time there was a lot of innovation happening. So we were looking at environment, we were looking at interactions, we were looking at the person's physical health, we were looking at um, um, all sorts of other things, and I can't get them out at the moment, but the, the, one of the biggest things I think was really influential in teaching at that time was on the ward we had the psych, our psych geriatric registrars and on the medical wards they had the medical registrars and they would come over and do a walk there. Their registrar would come over and do a walk down with our registrar, and our registrar would go over to the medical and rehab wards and do a ward round with them. So that actually, I think, influenced those training, the people that were training at that time, so the registrars, and I've got lots of um, funny memories as well, but memories of, of the registrars, you could really see the development. You could really see them. It was not just about, you know, looking at what's happening in this person's brain, um, but about the whole influence of um, brain behaviour, environment, interactions and all the rest of it. So... 
Uh, you know, they were really critical moments, and it's, I, I'm sad to say I haven't seen that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, you mean the cross-fertilisation yes. between medicine and psychiatry? Yes. Yeah. And I've never worked, I've worked in a lot of places now, and I've never worked in teams, except Concord, mind you, so I'll go on to Concord in a minute, but those two places, Lincoln and Concord, and I've never been able to figure out what were the things that made those two places extraordinary places to work because they were. My gut feeling is that it was about the innovation that people were allowed to do because we were innovative. It was about um, the teams, so they were very bonded teams. Um, hmm. And yeah, so that built respect, it built people wanting to learn and wanting to be innovative. So I left Lincoln um, in 1988, 89, 88 I think it was, and went to Concord and I went over there as the nurse manager, nurse unit manager of and to commission their, their first um, geriatric assessment and rehab unit. Um, and it was a primary nursing unit, so it was only registered nurses, and I thought, I can't go past this. This, you know, I thought it was going to be the future, but in fact it was the last I've ever heard of it, which was really sad. Um, and I think that's actually... Um, yeah, it's not a story at all. Um, so I went over there because Tony Grove had moved over there and I knew Lidcombe was closing slash moving. Um, and I'd been there 10 years by this time, so um, it, was, it was definitely time for me to move and yeah, so that one, so to speak. So at Concord, that was another amazing place to be. I knew more about the workings of that hospital because I set up that ward than any other person in the hospital. I reckon as a nurse manager because I was down in the laundry knowing how many sheets and whatever's I needed. Um, I was ordering the cutlery and the crockery because we had um, on our ward, we had... I think it was a 28 bed unit. It was actually started off being just for local community older people because it was a veteran hospital still, a Commonwealth hospital. Um, and this was Tony's, you know, negotiations about this. I'll come over if there's a geriatric department set up, etc., which was the first. Um, Geriatric department model. And so in that time, we had local community residents that were allowed to come in. Um, we had the day hospital next door, the day hospital on rehab, um, and, and the acute wards. 
And it was pretty evident to me at that time that, you know, we were getting a lot of people from the wards that, you know, had cognitive impairment, whether it be delirium, whether it be um, dementia. And, and at that time, they had a lot of security, which I've never really come across security in before. That was the first, my first introduction to security, you know, helpful security at the hospital. They must have had a at them, but I don't remember them, and I don't remember them being that engaged in day-to-day activities. But because there was security at the front gate of Concord, Concord Hospital, they were very, you know, visible. Um, and one of the things that used to happen was, of course, you know, we'd have people that would be, and it was an open ward, and one, and one of the things that would happen was, you know, there'd be people there saying, I'm going to go home and leaving. <laughs> and, you know, I'd have some staff that would call security and I'd go, you know, well, let's not call security. Let's just try and, you know, work them back, which happened more often than not. And certainly it was um, more often than not that people came back. But there was times as a nurse manager that I was walking up Concord Road and up um, yeah, Concord Road with a person that was quite adamant that they were coming back in their pyjamas um, and you know, pouring rain sometimes, drowning both of us, and eventually getting to you know, a spot quite a long way up the road where I would convince them to come back or I'd be able to um, get them to sit so that I could ring to get security to come pick us up, which was the only time I thought security was actually beneficial. So over that so that was our that was the ward and it was a wonderful ward I must say. Um, eventually the, I think it was in 19... So in 1990, I'll just tell another little tiny story. In 1989, there was a call from an expression of interest come out from the hospital to say that DVA, Department of Veteran Affairs, was taking World War One veterans back to Gallipoli for the 75th anniversary of the year after in 1990. And, you know, the, everyone in the hospital was going, oh, well, you know, like emergency nurses and all this sort of thing. And I kept saying to my staff, they don't need emergency nurses as much as they need geriatric nurses, gerontology nurses. And I was trying to get people from my ward to apply. And I said, well, I'm going to apply. And a couple of other people applied. Um, and we did have to apply. So everyone that wanted to go had to apply for this um, and, and write down, you know, um, good reason why they think they should be going. Um, and, I, and in fact, I was chosen to go with those veterans. So there were 58 veterans, World War One, age range between 89 and 103, who travelled halfway around the world and all of them came back. Um, that happened in 1990, as everyone knows. There's a fantastic article about that in, that Phil Henschke did and Diane Trickett. Um, and I have a copy of that if you like, called The Final Assault. Talks about um, 
talks about everything. It talks about the build, you know, the, the planning, talks about the event, talks about what happened. You know, there was a lot of people that were delirious, like the very <laughs> Even though that we, even though we had um, selected, um, we got to know people, we had, you know, we've had the medical assessments, the nursing assessments, the, you name it, they had it. Um, there was still quite a lot of delirium. Um, and there was also, you know, in, whether it be in flight because of the, um, you know, the oxygen saturations. But thankfully, um, we certainly didn't take anybody with respiratory. Um, Disease or what was going to be compromised in that way, or really significant heart disease. Did you take people who had mild dementia, or that was that an exclusion? Uh, look, I don't think it was an exclusion. Um, I, I don't remember. Tony would be able to tell you that because he did the assessments. Okay. So he, we ran the files past oh. him first. Yes. Then he would go, yes, no, yes, no, whatever. So then the next ones, we'd get the next ones that he said, you know, who um, we'd get them in for him to, or to, for geriatric medicine at the department to see. And then there was, you know, the final lot was, I can't remember how many we had in New South Wales. It was about 20, 15, about 15, actually. And I think there was there was the odd person that certainly had mild cognitive impairment. It wasn't called that in that time, though. Um, which was more about some memory about functioning okay. And so there would have been um, there would have been, but it was interesting because they weren't necessarily the ones that were um, the problematic, not problematic, but that that things happened to. So, um, so that was interesting as well. So, so that's I'll park that. Um, so then, at at the time, in fact, um, at that time they were setting up the CNC gerontology at Concord, which I applied for and um, and got that position, and that was one of the first gerontology. Um, CNCs. I don't know that there was many others. There might have been one or two, and I think I can't remember even where they were. So that would have been what year? About 1990, 1991. No, sorry, that was. Because I know uh, Helen McIntosh, she was a CNC at old age, started in 90. Okay. At, at Prince Henry, I think she was. Yes. She's still there. <laughs> Oh really? Okay. Yeah, so I, that was, um, I know that there was only a couple and in those days it was quite hard to link up with people. I really wanted to get a network of them. Um, I think Julia was here at North Shore in fact, or just around, just after that time. So it was about, I think I got the position in about 91, around about. Um, so in that time, really, what I became was the delirium CNC. Um, but because of my background, I guess um, you could really you know, 
model it however you do what you could do, whatever you liked, almost about um, you know how you model. So I, in fact, worked very closely with the psychiatry CNC because her interest also, psychiatrist Antoinette Riley, because her interest was very much um, psychogeriatric, but you know um, gerontology. So her and I worked together very closely at Concord to the point where in the end we'd say to security guards, okay, you can stand down. Um, thank you for letting us know. So we actually trained security to let us know that there were problems. So they ring us, they ring security, but security would ring Antoinette and I. We would go and um, say thank you very much and send security away at least to the background somewhere. Um, at that point... You're talking about at Concord, was there a ward or of people with mental health problems? No. Not at, that, not at that point? Not at that point. But that was the next thing that happened. Okay. So, um, I can't remember what year that was, but we, we decided to try and do some research to present to the hospital medical um, superintendent about um, the need for a separate ward. And I don't, I don't remember what year. I think it was about nine, five-ish, six, maybe. Um, so what we did was my my role at that time as a CNC was basically I would do the, some statistics about, um, you know, where the person was, what was the nature of their disruption, because it was always about disruption, etc. And um, where, what ward they were in made. So we could collate this information to actually present it to um, administration. And that did work. Um, and that's actually when, we, when the ward was able to be developed at Concord. I was the CMC and there was a nurse um, uh, manager, Simone Berry, who, in fact, um, her background was psychiatry as well, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, so that's when that ward, which was really, um, it was for people with dementia, but more disruptive behaviours. So, and and one of the things I think that really stands out to me about that ward also under hopefully my influence was that we would have some really difficult people coming and I'd say to the, you know, we were quite aggressive and all the rest of it and I'd say, say to the staff, you know, we're going to have a, no, a, a non-touch technique so we're not going to touch this person for 24 hours if we can possibly help it. You know, we're going to try and gain their trust, get them to a place where they feel comfortable about that we're here to help them, we're not going to hurt them. It is hospitals and all this sort of um, and that they're in a safe place. And their family knows it here. So there was lots of stories at that time that um, 
and we had difficult people that were quite, um, but they were older. It's really interesting because at that period they were older. We didn't, we got some young people, but not a lot. And I think that's one of the things that's changed considerably, in fact. Um, and it depends what area you work in as well as to how much that influences um, the age, influences, you know, the, the workings of the ward, etc. Um, there was, you know, we had people that lived, this fellow came from the central place, his wife was in hospital, he drove down, he used to drive down to Bingley's wife. And um, eventually he had an accident, which was why he then got brought to Concord, put in hospital, and everyone went, oh my God, shows you how driving is very, quite a little bit Anyway. And that also got me interested in people, other people driving and dementia. <laughs> um, and one of the things that would happen was he would be really aggressive and we would put in plans about we need to take him up to visit his wife every day, he needs to come back here, we need to keep, make sure he's feeling safe, that he knows where his wife is. So I think um, some of the things that were happening on that board where we would regularly bring the telephone interpreters. I got to learn a lot of um, Italian words uh, and Greek words. And I used to have a sheet, in fact, that had all these, you know, nurse, doctor, oh, blah, 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 whatever the word was that we needed, you know, kung fu, um, Gabinetto, the toilets, and you know, just words that we needed to at least be able to communicate in some way to a person um, of a, English as a second language. And um, so I had sheets and sheets in different languages, and you know, I'd be adding to those sheets all the time. Kept them for years and years, but I don't have them anymore. And, and as I said, we regularly, if someone was really, we just couldn't settle on and couldn't do anything, we would ring, I would ring the telephone interpreter and explain to them where I was, who I was, what's happening, but this person is distressed, can you glean anything? And if you can't, please don't argue with them, <laughs> please don't um, disagree with them and, you know, Tell them they're safe in their language and that we're in hospital and blah, blah, blah. So we did that very regularly, which was one of the, I don't know whether that still happens as much. Did you ever write that up? No, I never no, It'd be a good practice to type of thing to, to write up. It, it's uh, yeah. for, for the for nurses, I mean, day to day emergencies. Yeah. Yes, look. Yeah, I'm not a writer, which is one of the problems, but I would like to write. So hmm, maybe I'll think about that and do that. But there's lots of things I'd like to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So some of those 
you know, some of those strategies um, is what has shaped my practice. Mm. But it's also some of those other things and the influences of um, working with you know dynamic people who want to make a difference, who want to make a change, who don't just see this person as um, a demented, non-personalised. You know, I'm still very adamant that we need to, on the wards, get their history, their social history, their family information. Who's their wife? Who's their family kids have they got? Um, because it's almost, where I'm working currently, it's almost non-existent. And I just go, hey, you know that we manage this person. We don't. And I just feel quite... Um, saddened by that, that it's not more of an understanding about this person because of their triggers and their whatever. I get called everyone's wife quite a lot (laughs) because I'm kind and (laughs) and those grey hair. (laughs) And these days a lot of people think I'm their wife. I have to constantly say, no, no, no. I, you know, and I'm constantly saying, Marianne, I'm the nurse. <laughs> not necessarily saying, no, I'm not your wife, but I'm Marianne, I'm the nurse. Introducing myself about, hello, my name's Marianne, how can I help you? It was my mantra at Concord. Everybody that ever knew me, that's what I would say. <laughs> um, I, I guess the other thing is I found delirium so fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Heard some amazing stories with people in their delirium, and you know, the next day, and they would talk to me about. Um, and it was almost like the, the escalation of delirium was incremental. And every day, I'd go, you know, can we please do this and this and this because this will help this person through this horror. It's like a horror movie. You know, the first night they would talk about um, the disturbance of sleep. And, you know, not too bad. But, but there was something. The second night, you know, after the second night, they would talk about not just the disturbance of sleep, but they would be then hearing these things around the ward in the dark and it was probably you know, people snoring, people making noises, people doing all sorts of things. Um, but the lack of sensory input, nobody actually clarifying, nobody talking, nobody reassuring. So then the next light night they would talk about, and this happened over and over and over, they would talk about the horror and the maiming and the blood and the gore and it was like a massacre, um, which I felt was, you know, like this is, and it was not just one person, it was over and over people would talk about this. So delirium, I became absolutely obsessed by it at one point because... This was, is in the late 90s, though. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, it was no, it was probably it was certainly all along the nineties. All but, through the nineties. But, right. but when I was the CMC, that's what I concentrated on. 
Then I became the CMC. I wrote a policy about restraint and said we're not allowed to. Sorry, can't do it. On walls. Because we need to be doing, if you want, if they're pulling things out, you're going to be using these mittens, but you're not going to be manicuring people down. If these are the strategies that we need to do. We put, did posters, and Julia Poole's poster was based on our posters at Knockwood. Um, she did it much more nicely than we did. But we talked, we, Antoinette and I did posters about, you know, how staff, what are the restrictions that staff are placing on this person that are making them aggressive and more fight So we, we, we went into a whole range of things that weren't being talked about at the time. We were teaching, um, not necessarily the site, um, um, what was that called? You know, in the nineties they were teaching the site in site hospitals, they were teaching evasive self evasive self defence and um yes. those sort of things. So we were teaching, we were running um dementia experiential workshops. So we did masses of those at Concord. Um which I believe is one of the best ways to teach people about dementia is to get them to experience it. It doesn't happen anymore because there's no psychiatry of old age course except online, can't teach it online. I'll go into the next um, one. This is my mantra about stuff, I must say. So in in those days there was... um, a lot of education, a lot of education about delirium, depression, dementia, um, restraint use in hospital, in fact, went down significantly. So people were even in ICU didn't really restrain people as much because they were talking a bit more and they were doing other things. Um, so restraint use and sort of least restrictive practices, which which was where we were trying to come from about what you do need to take people for a walk and then they're not going to be fighting you so much and they won't get up and fall over as much and um, those sort of things. So my I guess my I come from a general nurse background, then doing psychiatry, then doing brain injury. Then going into gerontology and slash psychodiatrics, um, I think those things have influenced my career in how I practice. So in a sense, uh, each of those four experiences that you mentioned have, have had their own contribution in, in their own way. And I, and I guess... It emphasises, from my perspective, in thinking uh, the complexity of the area that you do need all of those different backgrounds to pick up different nuances of different aspects of each person. Yes. And and, and I guess that's your course that has really brought that into into focus, hasn't it? Yes, and it's what I talk about now all the time. I have a firm belief... You can't have psychiatry of old age without gerontology, really. It's got to be combined. And, and one of the things that's interesting, because back in 
the day at Lincoln, the reason they brought me over to ask me to go into Sid's world was because I was a general nurse. Because the fellow that was there before me was purely a psych nurse. And it wasn't necessarily words and I don't believe. Because it was more about medication than strategies. So you know, I come in, even to this day, people will say, oh, you need to PLE, and I go, no. We need to manage this. We need to actually be talking to them or taking them away from all this noise and kerfuffle. And, you know, having, having some, um, less stimulation because, you know, new people need to sit down instead of standing up like guards. So in a way, one of the things that you're pointing out is that some in dementia care, so in particular delirium care as well, uh, we've learnt from brain injury. Yes. Because it is a form of yes. brain injury. Yes. So the, the, the yeah. and, uh, and, and I guess it's, con- it's conceptualizing the people that we're seeing as having injured their brain in some way. Mm-hmm. And, but, and that doesn't mean you can't do something about it that right. gets around it and deals with that injury in a non-drug way, in a person-centred way. And, uh, I mean, it took a long time to learn that, didn't it? I mean, I agree. You know, I, yeah. I think we, it took a while for people to understand in the field that really we're not following what we know in medicine in general. Yeah. And if we apply what we know to this group of people, we might do a bit better. And I think that, that's what's happened, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in the time, so you've described a 20-year period mainly at the moment, mm-hmm. the 70, late 70s through the late 90s. Um, in your, so as a nurse, looking at nursing for older people with medical problems, what changes in general do you see in, your, in that subspecialty area? I still go back to this stuff about there's kind of two camps. The psychiatry camp, pure psychiatry yeah. camp, and the pure, uh, well, and this other camp which is both ger- yeah. gerontology and yes. mental health, who have a much more collaborative um, but I think, to be honest, in fact, we don't teach well old person's mental health or gerontology together. That's my biggest beef. We still don't do it very well. I know that it's on heavy online, but you can't teach online. You can't teach it online. Can't teach people some things, and, and you know, without the experiences. Sometimes I don't know that we've um, progressed that far, right? Which I, I just, this is my career. I'm now up to forty whatever years, and I guess that's why I'm so involved in the psychiatric nurses association now, trying to open it up to. It's not just you know, there was a time when psychiatry didn't get into, how can I say that, um, dementia stuff. So they didn't want to be involved with dementia stuff, but there's never been a clear kind of, okay, let's just all do it because we all need to do it. So we all need to do it, let's just get over it and 
do it and collaborate. So here at this point, we've now finally, um, I think, opened up the Psychogeriatric Nurses Association, for instance, to um, aged care nurses, and I would call that gerontology. I don't like the term aged care. Okay. Um, I call that gerontological nursing and, um, and nurses looking after people with dementia. Until we kind of get that, and it's starting to happen, um, until we sort of get that collaborative stuff happening, then I think that there's not going to, there's, we're moving towards that, but very slowly. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that can happen in the next however many years because it's going to need to. Where I currently work, we're getting much younger people that are much more violent. But I'll tell you what, their brains are, and it's it's a different kind of um, dementia happening now, I believe. Um, it's not just the, you know, the usual. And as the working group, you know, I'm fascinated about that working group, the New South Wales of persons mental health working group and what there, because I don't just come into Oh, with the severe extreme PTSD. Yes. Oh, yeah, that yes. yes, and that war, you know, they are trying to. Yeah. Um, it's, we used to have those people at Newcombe. Remember, they were the people that used to come yeah. all over New South Wales to Newcombe to be managed. And these days, there's every area needs at least some beds um, with some significant training. And if I was just, I, I constantly am on about training um, and education because I think it's lacking. I mean, at the moment, in Certainly, New South Wales. Uh, I wouldn't have a clue what exactly what pathways in other states, but in New South Wales, I've for a long time been concerned that the pathways of a for a nurse into mental health is complex enough mm-hmm. and sort of happens a bit late. Yes. But then into old age, mm-hmm. mental health nursing it gets even further yes. away, yes. and and uh, it is hard. I guess you. It's hard to see what the pathways would be into the field of old age mental health nursing that isn't convoluted. Yes. And, and that, that's an external person observing. Um, when I say external, I mean external yeah, to the external. training field, yeah. not to the field. So that, that's been my observation. There used to be a clearer pathway. Was it necessarily a better pathway, mind you? Because yeah. as you say, I think the clearer pathway was, well, you, you know, did psychiatry end up in an old age mental health ward. Mm. But you didn't necessarily get the geriatrics and no. the general medical training. So I think that, it, you know, in a sense, we've come a long way, but not made it clear for our field. Yes, and I and I think the point I try and make about this Cardinal Old Age course that was the first course that actually brought all that together. And it so when was that set up? Can you remind me? I remember teaching it way back, but I can't yeah, remember when it was set up. I was teaching in it. In the mid 90s. Now, Peter Brown would be able to tell, talk to you mm-hmm. about that, mm-hmm. and maybe there's someone you need to talk to. But I think I, it was the it was early 90s or yeah. something. I certainly remember being involved 90s. in the early days yeah. and, uh, and teaching 90s. in the early days. 
even my neighbours, I think. Yeah. Because one of the things, it was like AAG, Australian Association of Gerontologists. Now, Tony was, when I was in the brain injury unit and in with Sid, we would go to the AAG's meetings, education meetings, as well as we'd go to the faculty, the meetings. That doesn't happen anymore. And that's what I guess we're trying to. Yeah. You know, build that up again um, because they are not necessarily the AAG stuff. That was purely probably because I was interested in, and Tony was interested in gerontology. Um, and, you know, Sid was, so I kind of, that's why I kind of followed both ways about um, those education. I'm still involved with the um, Australian Association of Gerontology. Um, but it has got away from, I believe, what it's um, for nurses and for. I, look, I, I think uh, I agree with you that the. I think we, in, in all our fields, uh, the lure of online teaching and in relative less expense mm-hmm. has kind of it's happened. Awesome. And, and, and yet we notice, and then this has been long since known with distance learning, that you can't operate just online. You actually have to have a mixed methods approach oh, yeah. and, and have face-to-face work. And I, I guess in a sense it's just realising that that's the case. I, I, I have had not had any involvement with that online course. Oh, well, I was asked to, and, and I backed out. Mm. But you're right. I, I mean, I think... That we're in a, in a period of history where where um, things could be done better with the knowledge that we have yeah. in terms of aspects of training. Yeah, and I think this is I think it's it is the time to try and and this is a perfect opportunity. Just to, yeah, I think it is the time to actually you're hearing this stuff now about you know and being able to process in a better way. I've just been kind of going more. Trying to figure it out and not being able to figure it out, but I do a lot. Of, I do a lot of soul searching about this because it's quite dear to my heart. So, um, I, I think one of the things that I've often thought that in Australia we've gone a route where dementia is part of the aged care system. Yes. And that's had a lot of positives about yeah. why, you know, there's been a lot of good things related to that. But what it, the other side of that is that it's taken it away from mental health aspects. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and that means that that's pre- provided problems yeah. for people working in the mental health because the mental health aspects don't, or, or authorities feel that our involvement as mental health specialists should be at really only at the pointy end of behavioural change and beyond that it's that's an aged care's problem. And and that's a, a problem in terms mm. of trying to get a collaborative and, and well functioning system. Yes. Um, I've seen that uh, you know quite regularly. We did a work did research a decade or so ago um, on dementia and how it was managed in acute hospitals. And uh, long and short of it was, if they didn't have an aged care geriatric set up, there was no dementia care. That's right. Yep. And that's not 
really very sensible because really mm. dementia is everywhere. Mm. And so I think yeah, these, that's it's a counter side of, of having a system that take that theoretically takes mm. virtually the life. It doesn't work when for the people who are not in that system. Yeah. I spent years telling these medical staff, medical nurses on medical ward, I'm sorry, but you are looking after older people, whether you like it or not. Three quarters of your patients are older, and about a third of those are going to have some significant dementia, whether you realise that or not. So we all need to be up on this. And this was probably back in the 90s. I haven't really worked as a um, in a hospital. No, I did. I worked at John Hunter for a few short time. Um, so I haven't worked in a hospital. It's been now more community based. Um, my career over the last since I left Sydney. So I left Sydney in nineteen ninety nine, and to go to Port Macquarie to the aged care assessment team as the nurse consultant. There was no psychiatric service up there at that time. There was Colin Crichton used to be there, but he'd gone private and told the health system to do whatever. Um, that was the best job I, one of the other best jobs I ever had in my whole career. We used to collaborate with the police. They'd be ringing me saying, "Can you come in?" And come in, we, we need to go. We've had a call from this old person um, who said that his wife, I um, can't remember whether he had a gun or a knife. A gun, I think it was. A gun, oh no, a knife. Um, and, you know, he's gonna, she's going to kill him. Oh, okay, right. So off we go with the police, knocking on their door. Um, and you know, these were the things that we did in those days, not sensibly or not sensibly, but, um, but it was actually that the person had dementia and that was in most of the cases. They did not have depression. They did not have anything else. They had somebody in the household would have a significant dementia that was unrecognized. Something had triggered a, you know, um, an argument and they were at the point where they lost control. And so the police used to come knock on my door all the time. And as I said, in, um, even Alice Springs, mm-hmm. you know, that's the stuff that we were doing. That I'd have the hospital ringing me saying, oh, this fellow actually had dementia, but he had delirium as well. And he, um, I had the hospital ringing me referring me this guy who wasn't that old. Then said, Oh, by the way, you know, can you can you come and see him? And I'd say, Yeah, yeah, sure. And then they go, Oh, well, but he's left the ward, he's gone, he's gone home. Oh, right, did he catch you? And Alice Springs had the biggest security hospitals you've ever seen. <laughs> and they go, No. Oh, and by the way, he's gone what's he's gone home, so where does he live? Oh, he lives down by the river, by the graph. And they, I'd say, so, you know, okay, I'll go and visit him at home. And this nurse would say, oh, yeah, and there was a mention of a gun. 
I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> so I'd go and talk to the police. That would be harder to connect with than Alice when he's on my side, at least. But I'd go and talk to the police and say, you know, can, you come, can somebody come out with me and see what's going on with this fellow? He's apparently got a gun. And you know, and they go, oh, I'm okay. All right. I guess myself and my um, offsider will just have to go and do it. <laughs> so we go and knock on his door, ring his bell, ring his phone. And eventually, in fact, we go back to the police station that later that afternoon and they said, oh, no, he brought his gun in, he's handed it in. And I went, oh, you beauty. <laughs> now I feel much safer at going and seeing him. <laughs> oh, dear. So, anyway, there's lots of stories. So, where? So, Looking at where we are now, 2020, uh, 2020 vision, maybe, um, what you've already identified training as an area that we've still got a lot of work to do, um, particularly from a nursing perspective, mm-hmm. um, but probably other perspectives too. Um, what other things have you seen that have perhaps improved, but we've still got a way to go? Where, where, what are the other key areas? In, in terms of this field? Oh, I, think, um, I think there's a lot being done about environments, um, particularly, but not, not that that's necessarily fine off though, um, you know, about the environments that people with dementia and their significant behavioural disturbances are in makes a huge difference to how they're managed and how... Um, how they process things. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing better. We're certainly not hospitals are nowhere near doing any well. We're not doing well at all. Hospitals are not doing well still. Even with all this stuff about chops and mm-hmm. whatever all those other things are, I've seen masses and masses and masses of stuff coming out. <coughs> I guess it's, you could say the same thing for residential aged care. Residential aged care. You know, in the care. sense that we've done a lot and there are big you know, areas of improvement, but yes. there's a big massive still of concern. Yes. And, and, uh, and now that they're getting these specific units, hopefully they will be um, taking into consideration the research and the evidence and the. Um, you mean the special care units we're in yes. your I've not visited any of them. I'd like to, but I haven't had the privilege of doing that. The early days, yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's interesting. I think I think it's not just the training, but it's the type of training. You know, it is about the. It's not just about knowing and collab. It's about the collaboration of the teams. Oh, it's not the words; it's the actions. Correct. So building, building that, um, and, and that's, I think, I keep going back to this because it's a fine example of a psychiatry old age course because it was multidisciplinary, that made the leaps. Yep. And that then, people went back to their workplaces and... Well, it's a form of integrated learning and... and uh 
But I agree. I think, you know, I think learning how to work together in multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary teams uh, is, is critical. I mean, um, I think that's what's missing these days, right? Yeah. yeah. You don't see it. I keep saying to people, you know, the, the teams that I've worked in, and I have never worked in teams like it since, which well, I don't know. I'm very like, fortunate for 25 years I've worked in a yeah. team like that, which was, you know, at Prince of Wales. It was a, I have in different ways, but not in a multidisciplinary yeah. So in my nursing No, in a multidisciplinary way. This is sort of how, how we yeah. operate in it. It's, yeah, it, it, it's a critical important, and, and I think a lot of the ingredients you outlined are the sort of things that are part of any good teamwork and a certain team. Uh, I think that's why it's actually the basis of what teams are, all of those things that we well, you, you probably uh, <clears throat> know the, um, the, the old age psychiatrist, psychiatrician from England, Tom Airy. Yes. So Tom, in his writings, and, and uh, one of the key words or phrases he used was non-hierarchical team operation. Yeah. And then really that's what you're describing and certainly yes. what I, how I've worked is yeah. that's the key. Yeah. You certainly have a boss, but sure. everybody is largely on, a, on, on the same level mm-hmm. and, and everybody has their say and, and everybody and all people in it have their work to do yeah. and share. Yeah. And, and, and that's critically important. Yes. And, I, and I think that's, you're right, that my memory of Lincoln was, was like that. And, and Concord uh, was like and that. And I didn't ever work at Concord, but certainly yeah. Consentment and Swaz were like that. Yes, and there's only there's certain yep. places still like that, but there's not many in the my And I've, I've worked around. Mm. You know, I've worked at... So... Yeah, I, 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 I think uh, I'd agree with you about the need for that aspect of what we do to become mm-hmm. a focus of teaching and, and training. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it goes beyond older, uh, aged care, actually, geriatrics. It's actually a whole health. And, right. and, and that's, I mean, that's a bigger challenge, but that's a more yes. important, and a more important challenge. But I do think in general, you know, in geriatrics work, we do it better. Even those who are not doing it well do it better than anywhere else. Yeah. It's just that it's a, it's a quantum leap sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with all of that, and I think that you're right. The thing that I have also been grappling with is I'm now, after all of my career, I have, when I came back from the territory, I'm now working as a casual nurse on the ward in an older person's mental health unit and it's not a pretty sight from where I'm working. Um, what was I going to say about that? I was going to say that I have done looking at, okay, the where I'm working, looking at the surround of the, you know, the next level out of where I'm not just the war, but you know, the next level out, and then you know, New South Wales Hill. Mm. I've done a lot of soul searching about what's going on, what's the difference, what's happening. Um, and I, you're right, you put the nail on the head about it's not just about what we're, what we're doing, it's actually about the innovation has been taking 
taken away from everybody else and we're like the robots. Doing their little whatever they're allowed to do, not very well sometimes, and only doing what they're allowed to do. So nobody's actually thinking outside this box in the spirit from what I can see. And there are times when I shake my head and go, what is going on? <laughs> and I can't I get it, but I think you're right. It's that there's been some... I've been out of New South Wales from 1998. I went to Canberra to be... I was a nurse consultant in the exceptional case unit at um, DBA, so I worked there for three years or so. Then I went oh, then I went to oh, John Hunter. Didn't last there very long, I think I um, as the older person acute care nurse consultant. It's really disastrous because of the boss I had <laughs> who was a micromanager and I just thought, oh my God, I can't work with I've done this job before, okay, you know. Um because I've done a similar job at Concord and, and sure it needed to be different, but um, then I went back to Canberra to Calgary um, to open that as a nurse manager to open the um, older person's rehabilitation unit, which was an ACTY unit, but it was I had two bosses. That was not pleasant. I had ACT health as well as Calvary. I stepped down in fact because it was untenable. And then went um, then I actually went back to DBA for a short time and then to Alice Springs to set up the psychodiatric service in that bottom part of the territory. Uh, I'd like to thank you very much talking to you today okay. and um, and we'll see if the training and other changes mm. before that multidisciplinary issues uh, can be something that can go forward from this mm. point. It'd be nice if it did. That would be actually. Uh, and do you know, I think in fact one of the things that I'm out of the recent, it was last year, they had um, a very big uh, but it was a it was um, looking at the future of nursing education, and there were some very local people, including myself, in there about nursing education and about pathways. So I think that will change. I really do think that will change. But I think we've got to be the leaders in how we want that to change in. Our field of expertise. That's how I see it. Um, and I think we've got to be the movers and the shakers of it. Because I think it will happen. But it's. I, I think you're probably right. I think changes will happen. Whether, yeah, it, it's, it's whether the change are the ones that we think it should happen. Mm. That's what's unclear. But maybe we can actually um, more manoeuvre the changes. Try. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.